Yes, I, I, you know, I, I just want to pray a, a blessing over these baskets and reiterate what it is that we're doing. We are trying to uh, bless people with absolutely no obligation whatsoever for those that might be in need during this Thanksgiving uh, season uh, with a, a basket uh, with all the trimmings and we've got a frozen turkey which we, we carry out uh, with us. And it's just a delight for us to be able to just give, like I said, no strings attached. But I do also want to say we as a church are a bridge. We're trying to connect uh, the love of Jesus with people. And it's kind of amazing to me when we read statistics that again and again and again, the reason why people are not in church on a Sunday is not because they're atheists. It's not because they hate church. It's because nobody is inviting them to come to church. I mean, that's the number one reason that people are giving why they don't go to church. Nobody invited me. And so we just assume that people won't enjoy church or we assume that they, they're going to be super hostile. So I just want to say, as we reach out and we deliver these baskets, you know, we want to just pray for them, pray a blessing on them, and we want to just extend an invite for them to come to church. No, you know, hype, no manipulation, just an open, honest, uh, heartfelt invitation. Uh, let me do this. If you've uh, been involved in putting these baskets together or you're going to be delivering these baskets today, or you gave money towards these baskets, why don't you just stand? I want to just pray for you, that you'd be blessed uh, as you go out, uh, as we go. I just thank you. It's just a, a huge team effort. We don't do this, uh, you know, in isolation. Lord Jesus, I just pray for each person that's been part of this process, that you would give them joy, that you'd uh, fill them up, that you would encourage them, and that uh, those that are delivering would be an encouragement to the recipients, just in what they're giving and the way they give it to the recipients. We just pray this would be a fun, blessed day in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a huge participation. There's a lot of you uh, getting involved in this. Well, uh, this is our last uh, sermon in the series uh, of expecting, experiencing joy out of the book of Colossians. And today I want to talk about uh, joy in relationships. Now, if you want to go back and listen to some of the past messages, you can get them uh, on our webpage or you can get on podcast. And, uh, you know, I thought Stephen's message last week was particularly uh, powerful. Uh, you might want to listen to that um, and process that. Now, we've got a really special uh, couple of weeks coming up here. Next week is uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, Rod Klinger is going to be preaching. Uh, it's going to really be a weekend uh, that if you've got friends and family, uh, and if you're interested in worship and want to think about that, uh, you want to uh, be here next Sunday uh, for, for our service. And then the Sunday after that, uh, which is December, uh, is our Christmas party, our 20th anniversary. But we're also going to be doing something we've never, ever done before. We're going to do a baptism in our service. Now, that's like, a, you know, for many of you, that's like, that's not such a novel idea. But for us, that's very unusual. I mean, we've done it in the lake, uh, and I love doing it in the Hopkins State Park. But we're going to be doing a baptism right here in the service in, in 
two weeks' time. So again, if you're interested in being baptized, uh, I know I normally ask you to wait until like June, but uh, we'll do it. We'll be doing it now. I kind of remember the first time we did a, a baptism in December. Uh, it was uh, Tony and Debbie Allen, and they were very enthusiastic. They had just given their lives to the Lord, and there was all sorts of wonderful changes happening. And um, like Ivan, who's going to get baptized in two weeks' time, he didn't want to wait till the summer. And so we did, uh, I can't remember if it was Debbie or Tony, but we baptized them in the swing pool. And I remember like putting hot water in and then jumping in, and hot water made absolutely no difference whatsoever. And so uh, then Tony or Debbie decided, no, they want to do this like the conventional way. So we, they want to get baptized in a, in a baptismal pond, in a, like a thing in a church. Uh, so we, of course, didn't have one. We were meeting at the school at that point. So I asked FCCH, the church down the road, if we could use their nice heated baptismal uh, fonts in their very spacious and gracious facility. And they said, great. And so I can't remember again if it was Debbie or Tony, but we had a nice big crowd there and uh, jump in the baptismal pool. And it was freezing because I forgot to heat it. <laughs> So I said, you see, you can't avoid it. That's the way it is. So anyway, we're going to have a, a, really a, a fun uh, next two weeks and then build up to Christmas is going to be terrific. But I do want to look at, um, at our relationships and, you know, the fact that God is big into relationships and he desires that we experience joy in relationship. Now, starting with joy with God, that we have some connection with God and some sense of relationship uh, with God. And, uh, in, and through that relationship, we also experience healthy relationships with those that are near and dear to us primarily. So Thanksgiving, many of you are going to get together with family. And, you know, I honestly know that for some, Thanksgiving is just the greatest weekend ever because you get together with family. But I also know that there are many, it's like Thanksgiving is just awful because you get together with family, you know. And so what I want to pray for and just talk about is that you would have an awesome Thanksgiving no matter what your circumstances are. You know, that the Lord would be involved in it, that there'd be grace in what you hear and you can have selective deafness and then you can be like able to communicate love uh, where you need to uh, and that your thanksgiving would just be actually miraculous, that God would do something supernatural in your family time, in your travels. And uh, I just, uh, you know, pray that that would be uh, what you can experience. But today I, I want to look at a, a section in uh, Colossians, which is, has very, there's two very controversial verses in it. And so uh, we don't here at this church shy away from uh, the hard sayings in the Bible or the difficult sections of the Bible. We believe in the whole Bible, not just the, uh, the parts that are the most popular, perhaps. Uh, so we want to look at this because I do believe that uh, when we understand the Bible correctly, we do see God's love shining through and God's love for each other and our relationships with each other and how to navigate these relationships and understand them. Uh, so you obviously think, okay, so what's so controversial that we're going to talk about? Well, let me just put these two verses up and then we'll read this uh, section. Uh, the two controversial 
verses for some would be this. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to those who belong to the Lord. And then Colossians 3.22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Do you think anybody has an opinion on this? Uh, like, do we think slavery is good, bad? Uh, should we submit? Should we not submit? How do we do these relationships? Uh, this is too painful to talk about. Uh, we should, can we just talk about something else? Uh, uh, last thing I want is a whole set of rules. No, God's love is in this, but we need to unpack it. Uh, it's, there's more to this than meets the eye. Uh, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd empower my preaching. Lord, I pray that uh, each one of us would be able to go home with a a real take home, a sense that we're connecting to you, a sense that we can understand your love and experience your love and be loving towards others. And Lord, that we could have a right relationship with you and with each other as we uh, obey your word and we experience the promise that you tell us that if we obey your word, we will experience life and we'll experience life in abundance in you. So, Lord, I, I lift this up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let me read uh, from, from Colossians 3.18. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to actually unpack it from the back to the, fore, to the front. But starting at the front, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord, rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for your wrong that you have done. God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you do have a master in heaven. You see, this uh, is an area where obviously there has been much abuse, uh, much misunderstanding, abuse within the church, uh, particularly I'm talking about slavery. Uh, and finally, uh, the word of God uh, wins the day. And finally, there's the correct interpretation uh, and, you know, the Lord's will, I believe, uh, shines through. That doesn't mean to say that the church has always got it right. But the church somehow or other, under the power of the Holy Spirit, is self-correcting. The Holy Spirit will guide, and finally the Lord gets His way. Uh, timing is always an issue for us. We always wish God would do things super quickly, and it's always a, a, sort of a struggle for us. Like, God, why does it take so long in my life? Uh, why did it take so long to get rid of slavery? Why did the church endorse slavery? Why did the church support slavery? You know, and then why did the church get rid of slavery? Uh, uh, and so I, I want to look at that because if we understand uh, this, if we can dig into this a little bit, it then opens up uh, how we understand other 
potentially uh, challenging areas of Scripture. I want to just preface this by saying, I have a very high view of Scripture. And I uh, very much believe that God has inspired Scripture, and through Scripture, God changes us and transforms us. And I also highly believe that we do not have the liberty uh, to try and uh, change Scripture or ignore parts of Scripture or add to Scripture. But I do believe we have to do everything possible to understand Scripture well and to uh, analyze Scripture well. And uh, one of the common mistakes when we hear people quoting Scripture incorrectly is often they'll just quote like one line. And they'll say, look, it's pretty obvious. It says it's in black and white. I mean, he has a very clear verse. Just do that. Uh, so, you know, for today, somebody might say, look, masters, just be fair to your slaves. Just do that. Just be fair to your slaves. Have slaves. Just be fair to them. I mean, like, you know, it's black and white. There's nothing controversial about that. It's not, it's not that simple. God, when you become a believer, God asks you to engage your brain. You don't check your brain out and then just like, do, no, you engage your brain. And so engaging your brain is actually a wonderful, enlightening experience. <laughs> and Christians have been some of the greatest thinkers uh, around. Uh, one of the mistakes we make is when we pick up our Bible, firstly, we don't read enough of it. And then when we do, we read very short little bits or we just got a little, you know, app on our phone. And it's like, what's the inspirational verse for today? And then we just do that. And that's the extent of our Bible reading. You just, you don't study something like that. All meaning is context dependent. I mean, you know, a word is in a sentence, a sentence is in a paragraph, a paragraph is in a book, a book is in the Bible, and you need to, like, look at that whole thing. Not only that, you also have to start, unfortunately for us, in the context in which the Bible was written. And so now we're going back, you know, 2,000 years or 4,000 years, and, and we have to kind of think, okay, what did it mean to those people then? Before we can just say, what does it mean to us today? Because, you know, the Bible had to make sense to all generations, to that generation and this generation. And some of the biggest problems that, that we've had with people under, trying to interpret the make sense of the Bible is they just apply to today in today's society, in today's context, and then it gets, you know, misconstrued or misunderstood. So you do need to kind of do a little bit of work here. But uh, let's just look at this whole issue of, uh, of slavery, not that that's the, the current issue of, that we're facing today. But the under, our way of understanding Scripture through slavery is actually pretty helpful. Because, as I said, the church has done a bad job and a good job uh, in this area. And we just have to acknowledge that. That's, that's, our, that's our history. Yeah, there's just so much cultural uh, bag, baggage that we have uh, in this area that it's kind of like almost difficult for me to uh, jump right in. But I will say this. When we look at Scripture and we see an area like this where we have God saying one, one aspect, okay, women, submit to your husbands. We also have to look at what Stephen preached last week, which is what we call egalitarian verses. There's no uh, longer a separation between male and female. Uh, we're all equal. And then we have to like, put these two what might seem like opposing viewpoints together and say, well, how, does this, how do we understand this? And, you know, I think it's a, it's a wonderful exercise. It was not unusual in, those, in that time for 
a husband, because he was like the ruler of the roost, to have a whole set of rules for his wife. Wife, do this, 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 and that. And the husband got that because he got it from the emperor. The emperor had a whole set of rules for how you need to live as a citizen. Uh, primarily, you need to worship me as the emperor because I'm God. Okay, that's like rule number one. You do that, and we'll all get along real happily. Uh, and so it was this male-dominated society. Everybody had rules, and they had rules for their kids. And it wasn't really a discussion point. It was just the person that had power was king, and they implemented the rules and set the rules. And if you didn't obey the rules, it didn't go well for you. I mean, that was the mindset. Uh, so having a whole set of rules... Uh, wasn't uh, unusual when the Apostle Paul is introducing some ideas and, and saying, hey, we can think about this differently. Uh, what is unusual is how you respond to that and see God's love in that and that God cares for everybody and each person individually and we should treat people uh, fairly and lovingly. Uh, then it really goes pretty well. Now, to say that there's not cultural differences in the way that we uh, roll out God's word, even today, uh, would be an understatement. Uh, there, there are just a lot of uh, different ways that people that we live uh, culturally. For instance, uh, when I go to Spain as a missionary, I typically pack like a very small bag because most airlines that I'm flying in don't let, really like you to take bags or they charge you a lot and I'm pretty cheap so I don't want to pay for baggage. But that means when I get to my destination, I typically run out of clothing. Okay, so here's my uh, dilemma. I'm in Sevilla, Spain. I'm staying at a house of uh, some dear friends of mine, and I need to get some washing done. Now, in our culture, in my house, uh, where I live, I do my own washing. And so uh, I realized, now wait a bit, I'm in southern Spain. This is uh, a little bit of a different culture. And uh, getting my washing done was going to be a challenge. Just put it mildly. Now, uh, I'm staying in the house. The, the lady's name is Southie, uh, which translated means Willow. Uh, and uh, I didn't want to burden Willow like with my washing because she's already cooking for us. She's already cleaning the house. She's already organizing our travel. And uh, what, I mean, she's maxed out. And so then I come down and I say, uh, Southie, uh, please, can you show me where the washing machine is? I want to do my washing. And she looks at me like, there's no possible way that you are going to do your washing. I'm going to do your washing. And I'm like, awkward. Am I going to ask her to do my washing, my underwear, my socks? I'm like, uh, so I'm either going to insult her by saying, no, I'm going to do it because that's what men do. And that I'm an American and this is equal. And, or I'm going to say, uh, Southie, you like got a ton of things going. Uh, do my washing. Well, I didn't really have an option because she just like, I will do your washing. Put it right there. You are not doing washing. Men do not do washing. I'm like, okay, in this house, men do not do washing. I get it. And she wasn't going to budge and I wasn't going to insult her. And so, and now every time I go, it's the same old joke. You know, I'm like, I go to the fridge. I'm like, do you have any beer? Christians don't drink beer. I'm like, I do. <laughs> well, you shouldn't. Okay, I won't. 
Do you have any other beer, non-alcoholic beer? Yeah, we've got non-alcoholic beer. Have one of those. You'll enjoy it. I'm like, no, I don't, but I'll enjoy it. Uh, and you do my work. You know, I mean, you've got to work out these, like, these cultural things without insulting everybody. Uh, you know, how do you do it with love? And uh, it's just not that easy, right? But I tell you what, I really love Southie, and she really loves me. And we've, we, you know, with our differences and our differences of opinion, we managed to work it out. Uh, and just, I mean, they just quality, quality, quality people, just phenomenally great people. So what I am saying is there are differences. But let's look at, again, this understanding of slavery, because the Bible, uh, it really condemns slavery. Uh, and yet, because of verses like the one I've just read, uh, Christians have seen that in the past, particularly, you know, here in America, uh, to endorse slavery and to have slavery. And of course, we know at the end of the day, we finally got rid of slavery. It cost us a civil war, but we managed, managed to get rid of slavery. But let's just look at another section of Scripture, and that's the book of Philemon. Now, look, I know there's a book in the Bible called Philemon. And I know you think I'm being heretical, like I've added another book to the Bible. There is no book called Philemon. You call it Philemon or some other weird pronunciation. I'm telling you, it's Philemon. It just is, all right? I know it's a small little book in the Bible, but it's actually a super powerful book in the Bible. Because in this little book of uh, Philemon, how many people do you know that got the name Philemon? I know a lot of people, and their name is Philemon, not Philemon or any other strange pronunciation. Philemon. We'll get on great if we uh, get my pronunciation. All right, in the book of Philemon, verse 8, it says this. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. Now, this is the slave master. The apostle Paul is uh, talking to the guy that was the slave master about his slave. And he's saying this. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. And what he's going to demand of the slave master is that he treats his slave uh, like a Christian brother and not like a slave. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't say it that. He says, I could. He says, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. And then verse 16, he is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. You know, so there's this whole emphasis here of saying, look, you can't just think of slavery as slaves. And then there's a whole cultural change which happened from American uh, slavery to slavery in biblical times. Slavery in biblical times was really an interesting thing. I mean, firstly, there were like 50 million slaves in Paul's day. I mean, that's almost the size of the population of France or the population of England. I mean, there were a lot of slaves. And many of these slaves were treated really, really, really well. In fact, many of these slaves were highly educated. Many of these slaves were the educators of the wealthy people's kids. Many of these slaves had uh, responsible positions. Many of these slaves didn't mind being slaves because they were treated very, very well. But that doesn't mean to say that slavery was a good thing. And of course, when we think slavery, the slavery then and the slavery of, you know, of the American South are two different types of slavery. The slavery had the same word, but the, the abuse of people's human um, rights was just appalling. Uh, and so what wasn't happening in interpreting scripture was like, what about the letter to Philemon? You know, like, how does that work out in slavery? Don't support it biblically when there's plenty of other biblical scripture which would say, treat him as a brother, as a fellow, equal. Uh, 
and eventually, uh, you know, it did win out the day. Now, history is really interesting. Amazing Grace, that song by, uh, by John Newton. Uh, the history of that song is just really, really awesome. You know, John Newton, as uh, mother, prayed that he would become a minister of the gospel. And then she died. And what does he do just before his death and while he's still growing up? He becomes a slave uh, master. I mean, so this poor mother is distraught. Her prayers didn't get answered, so it seemed, and she dies. Meantime, he becomes a complete reprobate, dealing in slavery, whatever. Finally, as in your life and in my life, something catastrophic happens, and we need something more than ourselves. And he's on the ship, a terrible storm. The ship gets badly damaged, and uh, they try and repair the ship. And then he says this statement, just sort of flows out of his mouth. It says, if this will not do, the Lord have mercy on us, like the repairs he's done to the ship. And then he's like shocked at what he's just said. And then it starts going through his head because the storm is going on for two days. And he's now summons to like steer the ship. And he's like, how can I ask for God have mercy on us? I've been the worst possible person ever. God should never have mercy on me. How can God possibly have mercy on me? I'm terrible. I'm a, I, I'm a bad sla slave uh, trader, and I've, he's just like beating up on himself. And finally, he has this reckoning with God, and God comes through in his life and says, I want to forgive you. I want to have mercy on you. And so he, he has this, like, well, it's just him and God. And he notes this day in his diary and he says every year on this date i'm going to give thanks to god because god spoke to me and extended mercy to me and then he ends up going back to england and becomes what a minister his mother's prayers are finally answered and he's an awesome minister he's following the gospel and then you know a bunch of years later he comes in contact or william wilberforce comes in contact with him and William Wilberforce fought against slavery all his life. And at the age of 70 years old, slavery finally gets abolished in England. Now, if America had have listened right then and then and abolished slavery at the exact same time, we wouldn't have had a civil war. But we did our own thing. We're independent, and we ended up having a civil war. And then we finally abolished slavery. So the Brits did do something right for once. I mean, go Brits. Uh, but what I am saying is when we look at how God deals with us individually and works our lives through us, then when we look at other scripture, it makes sense. So quickly going through these, these scriptures then. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. This is really easy. I mean, it just says it right there in black and white. I mean, just let me just say this. It's easy for us to make lists of what we want as demands or what it looks like to submit. But to husbands, let me just say this. This is, this is a very short bit of preaching on this. Just read this again. It says, wives, submit to your husband. So husband, God is not talking to you. Don't tell your wife to submit. Don't give her any rules. Don't give any list. Don't say this is what submission looks like. He's not talking to you. Okay, end of story. Uh, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Okay, we're starting to get it. If we obey the Lord, the overarching theme is that we love each other and we get along with each other. Uh, you need to work it out in your own relationship, but the primary emphasis here is loving each other, not demanding anything of each other. It's, it, it love comes out of service. I mean, if you love somebody, your natural thing is not, what can I get out of you? It's like, how do I serve you? When you say, I love you, it's like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? 
It's not, what can I get out of it from you? And when we get that, we get everything. One of the better ways, perhaps, of reading the slave uh, verse for us today, where it's really pertinent, is look at that in terms of being an employer or being an employee. God is asking you as a worker, as an employee, to just work towards like you're working for God. Give it your best. Do your best. Uh, you know, and if you're a boss, God is saying, love your employees. They're not you know, instruments to be abused while uh, you get, get on with life. I do say this. I say all scripture is inspired, and we need to put the egalitarian verses along with the uh, more difficult verses to understand, to get clarity in understanding the, the total understanding of Scripture. And I do think the way we understand wives submitting to their husbands is to uh, look at what God is saying to the husbands and looking to see that, you know, in context, in that day, wives had no rights. So when God was saying to those people in that day, wives, submit to your husbands, uh, they were saying, like, have some order in this household. Uh, you don't have to be abused. You don't have to be used. But you need to be loved and you need to be taken care of. And there was some order to this uh, arrangement. Uh, God doesn't give us a comprehensive rule book. Uh, he gives us a sense of who he is and how he loves us. Look at what it says as we close here in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. When we deal with difficult scriptures, our attitude needs to be one not of demanding anything from anybody, but of loving and serving everybody. And God is saying, love, love. Our experience of his love for us and our love for others. And if we do this, we will treat people as equals and we will love them. And our inclination will be, how do I help you? How do I serve you? Lord Jesus, I just pray for your people today. I pray for myself. Lord, fill me and fill your people with more of your love. And Lord, the ability to deflect insulting statements or harsh words or difficult uh, things to hear from those that we are near or working for or, or love. And fill us, Lord God, with the resilience that we can experience your love and we can share your love and we can be loving and we can be serving to others. Lord, I just pray that we'd have your heart for your people, particularly our family and our friends, that we can love them and serve them and experience your joy and your hope. In your name, Jesus. Amen.